Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, again, I have no comments today, so if you're really enjoying these programs, get some comments in here. Thank you for doing that. Now, last time, we continued our discussion of George and Martha Washington and their unique roles as America's first president and first lady. Now, today, I want to continue our discussion. And remember, George and Martha Washington had an incredible, insightful vision for American government and the culture of the presidency. But we also have to remember that they had to commit themselves to intense personal sacrifice to lay those foundations. Now, this is so important because so many of America's government leaders hold such a different view for American government and structure and the office of the presidency today. And really, Americans need to take some warning. Uh, This new vision for America is really going to lead to America's destruction. So now, to help me continue this discussion today, I have called back the 60-plus panel into action. And so, of course, that means it's myself and my wife. So, Deborah, welcome back. Thank you. And so I think we ought to, we want to get back into Brady again today. And again, uh, listeners, I do recommend that if you are so inclined and you want to read more about Martha Washington, um, get the book by Patricia Brady. It's titled Martha Washington, An American Life. And it really is, it, it's, it's really a great companion to, to Johnson's book. And it just gives you both sides of the story. And it's, it's really, um, I think we'll just really complete your picture of the Washingtons. Now, let me just uh, give you what, what Brady, how she summarizes the presidency in the first year. And this is the first year of his first um, term as president. And uh, we'll talk about the second term, um, you know, in, in just a few minutes. But uh, if you remember, um, the the, uh, the Washingtons really didn't want to take the, the presidency first term anyway. And it, was, it really changed their whole lifestyle, and they really missed Mount Vernon. But let's just talk about this first year, and, I, and uh, here's, what, here's what Brady has to say. Says the first year of the presidency had seen an encouraging display of cooperation in nation building, and uh, you know, the nation wasn't built yet, but it was in the process. She continues. The next years were filled with rising controversy over just how the government was to operate, and as the president coped with dissensions among the men he trusted, the sad drama of his favorite nephew played itself out. And so, remember, that's his his nephew George Augustine. And, uh, you know, he was having a lot of trouble with tuberculosis, and he was growing very sick. And I think one thing that we have to remember about the Washingtons is that their family life was critically important to them. And, uh, you know, they were very interested in the presidency. They were very interested in getting America off the ground, but they were also very interested in their own family. 
So uh, Brady continues, it wasn't just a loss of someone he and Martha loved. Both of them worried about how Mount Vernon could continue to operate without an experienced farmer in charge. So they loved America. They loved the federal government, the idea of government. They loved what America could become, but they also loved Mount Vernon. And uh, it, it really became a problem for them to, uh, to, to kind of see it, uh, see it in decline and not have a good farmer there to take care of it. Now, I think it's also important that we begin to talk about the problems that began really in, this, uh, in the presidency, but maybe not with the presidency as much as it was with getting the country up and running. Remember the uh, the first Continental Congress, the Constitution's been established, the structure of government was established, but now the problems were beginning. And so, uh, uh, let's begin to talk about that, dear. What do you What do you have to say about all of that? So, well, it was, it was interesting. To, I didn't really know about the differences between some of these um, founding fathers, um, but um, I can read what. Patricia Brady says here, she says, whatever the general public might have thought in 1791 and subsequently, Thomas Jefferson and James Madison had decided that the nation was in jeopardy from the machinations of Alexander Hamilton. So there was a difference between Jefferson and Hamilton right away. All his his financial measures, this is Alexander Hamilton, who was Secretary of the Treasury, all his financial measures were leading down the gilded road to monarchy and damnation, according to Jefferson. Yeah, let me just let me just insert something here. Is that just so everyone knows that that Alexander Hamilton, what he was dealing with, he was trying to get America's credit position bigger so that America could start, um, you know, functioning financially on the world scene, and so he was trying to increase, uh, you know, debt levels they could have and and credit that they could have. And so um, uh, Jefferson uh, really began to have problems with what he was doing there. So now you go ahead. Yes, and if you read what Johnson says, he talks a lot lot about how Hamilton really did, was very important and crucial in helping to get the country started. And Washington knew that it was was really important to get the country started that way. But Jefferson had different different political views. Yes. So, so, um, and then it, it... Let's see. Um, it said um, Washington, in their developing view, was merely his dupe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what. And James Madison agreed with Jefferson. Jefferson couldn't imagine that Washington seriously found Hamilton's plans better than his own for the nation. Although at this point Jefferson had few concrete plans other than opposing Hamilton. Right. <laughs> Jefferson took an extreme states' rights position combating every attempt to strengthen the federal government while the president was committed to creating a strongly united nation. Right. And the, the, I think I think what's what's really uh, kind of fascinating there is is uh um you know there were there were other people that didn't necessarily think Washington was the best man for president either. I mean, uh I think John Adams appreciated his virtue, but I didn't think I don't think he was necessarily thought he'd make a good president. And again, the, the underlying uh, reason for that is there are different political views. And so so um, uh, it's interesting. We'll, we'll talk a little bit later about how Martha saw the whole thing. But uh, let's, let's just go on now. Yep. So, uh, so not, not only was it the 
uh, views um, in terms of of the the um, the, the new uh, government, but also foreign affairs, too, I'm reading from Patricia Brady, were a crucial factor in the development of political parties. So the political parties are starting. Hamilton had fought the British bravely in the, in the revolution, but he still admired and wanted to emulate many British institutions. Jefferson had been in Paris when the Bastille fell in 1789 and was filled with enthusiasm and admiration for the French Revolution. Even as new rulers came and went and the shadow of the guillotine loomed, he stood fast in his love for France and hatred for Great Britain. To Hamilton, all this was violence and anarchy that might engulf the United States. So I think that really is a clear... Um, distinction between the two, and uh, Jefferson was really the um, states' rights and revolution, you know, is great and all that. Whereas Hamilton was more of the of the a strong central government is important, and but someone like Jefferson, they were afraid of a monarchy, whereas um, Hamilton was afraid of anarchy. So you can see that yeah. it's kind of interesting how liberal thinking. Is still the same today as it was then, <laughs> you know, and and that's really that's really the problem that we see in America today. I mean, um, again, it's 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 like the uh, uh, the Democratic Party. I don't I don't even know if they understand exactly what they're doing. And I'm not a great politician. I'm not. I haven't really studied a lot of politics. But all I know is there is a liberal element in this country that that would would really support the French Revolution, and then there's a conservative element in this country that would say we need a strong federal government. And uh, right in the middle now we have President Trump. And again, um, you know, I don't want to get into politics, but um, you know, on the on the, the 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 positive side, President Trump has done some really good things for the country. And of course, um, as uh, even we talk about on the Trumpet Daily um, quite often, that that everything he does to a certain group of people is considered wrong. And I, I think George Washington, uh, years and years and years ago, saw the problem with two-party systems, and he saw the problems in thinking of people. And uh, I, I think one of the things that he wanted to do most as president was to, you know, kind of have people grow up and realize that human nature isn't so great when it comes to politics. So go ahead. Sorry. Well, yeah, well yes, no, I, I agree. It, I think that that was something he, they didn't really expect, he and his wife, um, that the hostility that, that could get, um, could come about in the politics and it did, it got worse. Um, they and they it also involved uh, papers. Um, it reminds me of today, you know, with the media. I mean, it was happening then. Although I, in some ways it's worse now because we have electronic media. Then they had the newspapers, but they right. had newspapers on, on, on both sides, and they could get really kind of nasty. And um, that was something that that really um, upset Martha, and, and it was hard for George Washington to um, to take. And um, so. I think that that's interesting. Um, so, because it looked like they both um, Jefferson had someone, uh, you know, supporting him. And then it says Hamilton leapt to arms. 
publishing articles in his own defense in the other paper and and skewering Jefferson. So it went back and forth. Right. And and to, to Washington, this spirit of party was terribly upsetting. To try to bring the opponents together, he began holding formal cabinet meetings, surely talking face to face. They could get over their difficulties. He saw the issue as northern versus southern interest. He didn't yet realize that political parties had become a reality in the United States with partisans committed to destroying the careers of their opponents. There would be no going back. Yeah, and and we're seeing it all play out today. I do think it's interesting that that uh, that Brady brings out that that everybody. I mean, uh, Alexander Hamilton had his personal quirks. Um, you know, I, I think that paragraph at the top of page one ninety four is really interesting. I mean, we we are human beings. The people are people, and uh, you know that doesn't destroy anybody's brilliance. But sometimes our you know our personal quirks can get in the way. Here's what she says about Hamilton and Jefferson. It says, Alexander Hamilton was a brilliant man, but a terrible politician. Neurotic impulses often rule his behavior, and he suffered from the fatal delusion that he was a master manipulator, causing needless trust and dislike. Thomas Jefferson actually was a master manipulator, especially in combination with the detail-oriented James Madison. As Hamilton and Jefferson came to stand for coalescing political parties, they fought over matters of substance, but there was an underlying personal hostility as well. They hated each other, each considering the other a hypocrite with secret plans who was trying to use the president for his own ends, and they were both right. <laughs> so so it, it's, it's just a common problem. This, this to me, uh, sounds like a Shakespeare play, you know, in, in, the, uh, in, in, the, in the making. And so... Um, uh, then, of course, like you said, they took it into the newspapers, and uh, you know that's that's when the real corruption begins. And you know, you get people, then you stir up the troops, you stir up the people, and uh, again, they were just getting started. I mean, this is this is like the second year of the new presidency, and so so uh, it's it's uh, it's really too sad that some of these things were really beginning to happen, but that's the way it is uh, with human nature. Notice uh, what she says, uh, what Brady says on page 195. says, Washington had had enough of refereeing a progressively uh, nastier game. Early in 1792, he informed Jefferson, Hamilton, Knox, and Madison that he would retire at the end of the term. The government was in working order, and he and his wife wanted to go home to enjoy the remainder of their lives. <laughs> so, what's the rest of the story? Yes, unfortunately, they didn't. They didn't get their wish. <laughs> yes, yes. It says when both Hamilton and Jefferson, as well as most other leaders, begged Washington to accept a second term, his sense of duty overcame his own desire for retirement. Martha was bitterly opposed to this decision and begged him to decline. She genuinely feared that her aging husband would not survive the presidency. His two close encounters with death and the partisan savagery among his cabinet members seemed reason enough for his retirement to a sensible woman. She was convinced that long hours, worry, emotional turmoil, and lack of regular country exercise were undermining his health. 
As far as she was concerned, her 60-year-old husband had done all he could, could be expected for his country. Yeah, so so it is it is kind of amazing um to me that that uh I think it just shows his virtue that that uh, I mean he really wanted to return to Mount Vernon. I mean they really wanted to get back to their 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 life. I mean they had a great life at Mount Vernon and and uh you know you could just see how how he could be discouraged because he, he I mean he was not um let's say a hostile kind of person. He he could he could see the right way and just expect that everyone else could see it the right way. But that isn't the way it is in the world. I think all of us have had to learn that. And and uh, sometimes I've learned over the years. Let's say, especially when I worked in business, um, you know, um, when I worked for for Westinghouse. If you came up with a good idea, there was another six people were jealous and they would shoot it down just because it was you and not them. You know, and so so I think that's what what Washington had to deal with. Well, um, it, it it is kind of different how how it all works. At the very end of that page one ninety five, Brady says it was almost unbearably disappointing to Martha when George again bowed to duty. He agreed to accept a second term if the vote was unanimous. And after a simple inauguration in the Senate chamber of March fourth, seventeen ninety three. The torrents of the second term began, far crueler than anything she could have anticipated. So, so, so here, here we have the second term now, and uh, I, I think it's interesting. I think we could talk about a few things here uh, for the time we have left about some of the things that he fought in the second term. But, but I think one one thing that we should say to kind of like introduce all this is that by the time George Washington hit his second term, America really had entered the world stage. I mean, it was it was not just the 13 little colonies under the protection of Britain anymore. It was now a new nation, you know, it was founded, and, uh, and it really had some of the attention of the world. So, of course, one of the big, the big problems, um, and Brady brings this out, is the French Revolution. <laughs> you know, caused caused problems for America, and uh, um, you know we shouldn't be surprised by that because uh, if if we know anything about the history, it was the French that came in and helped us win the American Revolutionary War, and so so America had already made a tie to protect France, and so so uh, I, I think it's really really uh, quite interesting that um you know that that again we we alluded to this just a little bit ago that that here Hamilton loved Britain and um you know Jefferson loved the French you know and of course we know that Ben Franklin spent a lot of time with the French as well okay so you have any comments on that my friend well it did, yes it was it was that was really tricky because um with af, af, with the French Revolution, and then um, hearing that Louis the Sixteenth and Marie Antoinette had been, you know, guillotined, um, and then there were there were new it was a new government, and and there was a time when there there were several different governments, and so it was tricky. Um, should you know what is their relationship? You know, because they had a, a treaty with 
with the king, but now is this treaty working with the new government or not? Right. And so um, that's that was the tricky part. And Washington felt they should be neutral, and that was which that makes sense. It seems like a safe way of doing. It. We should we should be neutral um, because at the same time the French were also um, at war with England, and so. It was getting pretty complicated, so the best thing would be to be neutral, whereas um, Jefferson didn't agree with that. But right. yes. I was just going to say, well, <laughs> who, were the, who were the two other parties in here that got their hands into the mix? And, and you know, Washington asked the question, you know, is this treaty still binding? And, of course, Hamilton said no. Washington believed no. But who said yes? <laughs> Thomas Jefferson, you know. So... So again, it's it's all personal political issues, and it may just make sense. I mean, if you really know anything about the French Revolution, I think I think sometime in the future we're going to have to do Tale of Two Cities on the radio just to get people interested in the French Revolution because there's a lot and there's a lot you can learn from that um, from studying the French Revolution. But but the thing is, is even the leaders of the rev- revolution, that the final government finally even killed them. I mean, Robespierre uh, was killed. Uh, Jacob, he was killed. Um, you know, and then also, uh, it really began to lead to kind of like world war on the continent there. You know, so the whole French Revolution, it just, it just kept growing. And of course, I think George Washington wanted to keep America out of the fray. And it, it, would, it would only made sense. We're still, we're still, this is only his second term as president. And so, so America was still now beginning to have its own internal problems. And so, so um, you know, America is now on the world stage, but it's the cabinet members, you know, that really were also a problem in this. And I, I think there's one thing about George Washington that, um, you know, even if, you, if we go back to the history of the Continental uh, Congress, you know, and the... Um, you know, the first and second one, then the the whole idea behind the Constitution is he really worked hard to keep his own opinions to himself, and he wanted to hear everybody's opinion. And in some ways, his that style of his led to the fact that he was he'd be interested to hear what Jefferson had to say, and he would be interested to hear what Hamilton had to say, and then he would make you know make a decision. But it kind of got out of his out of control, and uh, you know he, as you said, he was really against a two party system for that reason. But he still, he was still a very good at taking in the ideas of a lot of different people to come up with the right decision, and so that was the value of making him president. But then, you know, it's again, it's like any good leader. Um, and when you're dealing with a government and building a government, you have to have also good leaders to support you. And you've got to be careful of characters like that. Like, uh, again, Jefferson was a really smart man. Um, Madison was smart. Uh, John Adams, they were all smart. But they all had their own different opinions. So um, uh, on, uh, it was just really difficult for him. And, of course, um, uh, even... Um, even Martha, you know, also suffered through some of that. So um, here's what Patricia Brady says about this issue. It says, Washington 
This is on page 206, by the way. Washington grimly held on to his mission of establishing the government on firm foundations. First Knox and then Hamilton resigned their positions to attend to their own business affairs. What about his neglected acres? Rather than friends and innovators, his cabinet was composed of second-rate men. His pleasure in life now came largely from close friends and family, planning and sending instructions to Mount Vernon, and dreaming of retirement. The family returned to Philadelphia that fall without making their usual trip home during the congressional recess. And so so the thing is, um, you know, the, 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 the men that he started out with, eventually it's kind of like they all left him alone. And then, then his cabinet, you know, you know, came to second-rate men. And, uh, you know, how many second-rate men and women do we have in the government today? Well, uh, we, we don't even want to begin to calculate the numbers for that. So, so uh, but anyway, uh, it, it, it's just too bad that all of those things began to happen. But it really began to confirm his thinking uh, was right. Okay, so one of the other things that was a problem for him was this whiskey um, insurrection. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that too, my love. Well, there it had to do with, um, in 1794, the excise um, tax on whiskey um, had been had been con- controversial since its imposition um, because on the frontier, distilling grain into whiskey was the most efficient way of producing a commodity um, easily portable over trails and, and terrible roads. And um, so uh, people rebelled against this tax. Um, those accused of breaking the law would be tried in district courts far from their homes, an expensive journey, whatever the outcome of the trial. In the summer of 1794, farmers, distillers in western Pennsylvania rebelled against the tax and attacked tax collectors in what became known as the Whiskey Insurrection. Although encouraging changes in the law, Washington would not accept any defiance of federal authority. He believed that the nation's stability and future rested on respect for the law. So so basically, um, he was tough, and he he put together um, a a large army, actually, to uh, go and, and face the rebels. And actually, the rebels gave in without a battle because, you know, they were... The the army came and um, faced them down, and so, and they took the two leaders, and they were sentenced sentenced to death, but then later, uh, Washington pardoned them. Right. So it was it was the idea of showing that basically showing force. One of the first times that the government, the federal government, showed force that these are the laws. You know, we have to have law and order. Right. And so. And the thing is, that's mm-hmm. that was again mm-hmm. part of his virtuous nature. Yes. Is that that. Boy, if if uh, George Washington believed something, I mean, he stood up for it. Now, the thing is that that uh, what a lot of people may not know about that whiskey uh, tax that was put in in effect at the time of the Revolution to make sure they had an army to protect them, and so so it was not just a fly by night thing. It was there to really protect everybody, and so so uh, um, it, it 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 is. Um, something that when you're when you are a strong leader and a tough leader um sometimes um you know things don't go as you expect and not everybody necessarily agrees well it looks like we're out of time for today's program as well and so we'll continue this discussion next time and then after that i'll have some concluding remarks about uh, george washington 
And remember, our third and final book in this series is Hero, the Life and Legend of Lawrence of Arabia. You can buy this book at Amazon.com. You can also find the used copy of the book at abebooks.com. And, of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. And remember, you can leave me a comment at Facebook. So, until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.